It's a wonderful thought that if we were to go all around the world tonight, we would find people like ourselves who are singing songs and reading scripture and praying and reflecting on what Christmas really means. And so tonight, we're going to do the same thing. We're glad you're all here. I think there's, there's really something special about Christmas Eve. There's always kind of a, I know when I was a kid, I, there's always kind of the magic of presents and the fun that's coming the next day. But as you get older, you start to really see the magic in a kind of a different way. And, and, uh, but it's no less magical. And so tonight, I'm glad we're all together here. We appreciate the music and the lights, and um, we do have some people who are sick in the church. So let's why don't we let's let's start with some prayer, and then um, I want to talk about an extraordinary man. That's that's the topic tonight. Jesus Christ, an extraordinary man. Um, so let's let's pray first, friends. Okay, Heavenly Father, Abba Daddy, we come before you tonight. This holy of all nights it is, Lord, because tomorrow is the most special day of the year, the day when your beloved son, the son you said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, is the day he was born. Uh, we know historically that that's probably not the case, but, but the, world, the world on December 25th acknowledges the birth of Jesus Christ, and so we share with our brethren tonight around the world, every tribe, tongue, nation, and people to gather together to reflect on who this man was and what he means to us, his purpose and his meaning for all humanity. We lift up Pastor Mike tonight, and we lift up uh, just multiple people, the Patino family tonight. We lift up the Snyders, Mrs. C tonight, and uh, we know Jim has been sick and his wife Kristen uh, there's uh, there's other people. I know Brent Verhagen as well. Good to see him here tonight, uh, Lord. So take care of our people. Take care of our pastor and Becky tonight and their family as well. We know he's been pretty sick this week. And so we just ask, Lord God, for your, your grace and mercy. Of the many names that you have, Great Physician is one of them. We know primarily that's spiritual, but we also know historically from the book of Acts that you are God who does heal. So we lift up tonight that request to heal all those who are sick. We just ask as we move into your word now in both the Old and the New Testament that you will uh, guide our hearts and uh, that we will re- really rejoice and just what a magnificent man that you really are, Lord God, Lord Jesus. So just let your word speak to our hearts tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to move between the Old and New Testament tonight. So um, I'm going to have multiple quotes, and so I'm not necessarily going to ask you to turn to those <laughs> as we move through, but um, if you want to look those up, you might want to mark them in your Bible. Jesus Christ is an extraordinary man, and I'd like to look at five areas of his life tonight to really bring home the reality of who he is and how special he is that in human history there's been no other man like the Lord Jesus Christ so we're going to focus on five areas his conception his birth his life his death and his legacy if we look there's no other man in history that um, we could say is more amazing than Jesus Christ and so 
hopefully tonight as we go through some of these scriptures, um, we'll all together see just how glorious he is. As the, the youngsters, there's some people read tonight, that's beautiful to really read and hear the word of God. But um, the conception of Jesus Christ is like no other person in human history. We all have a physical mother and father. Jesus, in contrast, had a physical mother, Mary, but we know the Holy, she was, her father, in a sense, is, is God the Father, and we know that the conception itself was through the Holy Spirit. So if we look in Luke uh, 126, we see this angel Gabriel that comes to Mary in Galilee in, in the city of Nazareth in verse 30. And it says, then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. And then moving up to verse 36, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. So we know in in the book of Isaiah as well, that we had a prophecy of Jesus Christ being born to a virgin. And again, you know, I've talked with people sometimes and they say, that, that's just, it, that doesn't make sense. You know, how we know how kids are born and it's, it, it's just impossible for uh, a human being to be born in the world without a physical mother and father. And yet God says in that same passage, with God, nothing shall be impossible. God does what's impossible, and he makes it possible, and he makes it real so that we have a baby who's born that has a father that's in heaven and a mother here on earth. Amazing. Again, no other, and by the way, no other religion claims that. Only Christianity, only Christ is said to have been born in that way. Isaiah 7.14 is uh, the prophecy in the Old Testament, and there's over 300 prophecies about Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And they've all been met. You can go online. There's different sites about how the prophecies in the Old Testament have been fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's some people that have tried to look at what the probability would be for one person to fulfill all those prophecies. Remember, they're written by many different people over thousands of years. So here's what Isaiah 7.14 says. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Amazing, amazing. So 700 years before Jesus Christ is born, a prophet, Isaiah, says that a man will be born who's going to be known as Emmanuel, God with us, and he'll be born of a virgin. And even to the people at that time, they had to have said, what is that? That can't be, that can't be literally true. <laughs> it must be figuratively true. But we know it was literally true. And so through that conception, then we had the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. In every other religion, man tries to either become God or reach God. In Christianity, it works the opposite way. God himself comes down to humanity. He actually becomes a man and reaches us. <laughs> and 
when you think about it, that's a that's a really loving and gracious God that we don't have to we don't have to try to reach Him. Um, we can't, and so He has compassion and mercy. So He sends His Son, who's been with Him in eternity, and um, this is the conception of Jesus Christ. Then, of course, we have the birth. We go to passages in Luke, in particular, and in the Book of Matthew. Uh, for example, Matthew two seven. And it says, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Later on, we'll see some of the names of Jesus Christ. One of them is the King of Kings. Can you imagine that a king is born into the world in such a humble manner? It's so humble the way Jesus is born into the world. We tend to think of kings are regal. They're, they're people to be highly honored. And we tend to think of their lives as having a lot of privilege and, and wealth and nobility and so on. And here Jesus Christ comes and he chooses his mother, and now he chooses how he's going to be born. And it's a very, very humble birth. It's not how we would think God himself would be born into the world. And yet Jesus said, I came to serve. I didn't come to be served. So he takes this position of humility and a servanthood. And we see that. From the very moment he's born into the world. Then you have these in, in Luke, uh, you guys read it tonight, from Luke uh, two, uh, roughly 2.15 through uh, 2.20. You have these angels that come and start to tell the shepherds, you know, about this, this baby that's going to be born. Again, go through human history and, and see if there's any birth of any human being where angels announced and proclaimed and heralded that birth. Only the Lord Jesus Christ. It says even Mary, um, she pondered these things in her heart. The word, it means she treasured these things up. She was even in awe. How many mothers, I mean, I know childbirth is an awe, in, in, uh, awe-invoking process, I'm sure. Uh, having been there for the birth of my own daughter, I know that's true. But imagine Mary is, she's marveling at who this child is because, again, these angels have come to her. Now they come to the shepherds and they're announcing, proclaiming the birth of this child who will be really freedom for mankind. Mankind's been in darkness for, for millennia and they're waiting and waiting and waiting, especially the nation of Israel. And now Jesus Christ comes into the world. He's born. And so she's marveling at this and these angels and shepherds. And then we see these wise men from the east. Most likely they were astrologers. They were like the Chaldeans who were, um, they were magicians who were in the courts of major um, regimes back in those days. So, for example, Nebuchadnezzar had magi or magicians in his court. And if we looked at other cultures at that time, even in the east in China, we would have seen that... um, there were magi or wise men, but they were astrologers essentially, and they would look at the stars, and from their, that they would try to determine events that would happen. Well, God happened to put the star in the sky. We don't know if it's an alignment, maybe it's several planets, but, and they see the star, and they know that there's something special, and so they follow the star, and it says they followed the star to worship him. Think about that again. You know, all these things are, are really thought-provoking a baby? You're going to go worship a baby. What baby in human history have people gone to worship other than the Lord Jesus Christ? 
I mean, he's declared a king from the time he's conceived, and now at his birth, people are already start. They're already starting to bow down and to honor and to worship him. Okay, that tells us that he's God in the flesh, or else they there wouldn't have been this this sense of worship. And so they offer these gifts as well. Think about it. We give gifts to babies, but who has ever given your baby or anyone's baby gold? frankincense and myrrh. Gold in particular we know is highly valued throughout the world. And frankincense and myrrh too were also very, very valuable at that time. There are certain plants and resins of plants that are actually quite valuable. So the gifts, the gifts that they brought were their best. They brought their very best because they knew who this man was. And they wanted from the very time he was born to start to really worship and honor him. So it's amazing, again, the conception of birth of Jesus Christ. Then his life, he goes on for 30-some years, and he lives a perfect life, a sinless life. He's man and God. We know that's true because otherwise he couldn't have lived a sinless life. Think of how you've been tempted, how all of us have been tempted at times. You know, something tempts us, and our mind starts to go in that direction, and then our heart gets pulled in that direction, and sometimes we... We don't get free of it. We, we just we give in, and the temptation becomes an action or a thought. But here is what it says in the book of Hebrews. This is chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So you have a man now prophesied 700 years before his birth, conceived of a virgin, born under special circumstances with angels and shepherds and, and uh, magi, and even his own mother is just marveling at this child. And now um, he lives a life that essentially is without any sin at all. Here's what's amazing. Pilate himself, this is the man now that sends Jesus to the cross. In a sense, Pilate's his judge in the, in the earthly sense. of he, He's there to, in a sense to judge. John uh, chapter 19, verse 4 says this, Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him, him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Even Pilate, this secular man who is not religious in any way or didn't know about the prophecies of Jesus Christ and so on and just the, 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 the writings of, and the predictions and prophecies about his coming, he says, this is a man... I don't find any guilt in him at all. I mean, that's an amazing statement when you think about it. When you're, even your enemy says, I, this man's done nothing wrong. Even Pilate could see that there was something very, very special about the Lord Jesus Christ. We could go into more verses there. We don't have time to do it. But I'll tell you, that's a, a Pilate. We, as when we were in Israel, amazing. Dr. Bookman preached on that and just, uh, wow. So you have this man who... Jesus Christ, who lives a sinless life, and even his enemies, in a sense, you know, at least one of them, has to proclaim that we can't find any, any untruth in him, any guilt in him, any sin in him. Amazing. And so what happens is eventually people just have to start making things up, and we see where people bear false witness against the Lord Jesus Christ in Scripture. It's probably easier for Sodom and Gomorrah on that day than to meet Jesus and realize that you've you betrayed him and sold him out and lied about who he is. 
And yet many people today still do that. Most of the world, unfortunately, still lies about who Jesus Christ is. They deny his divinity. They deny that he's God in the flesh. They deny that his sacrifice on the cross pays for sin fully. We're no different in some ways. But if you're born again, you can see, yeah, Jesus Christ, wow, he's, he is the Son of God. He truly is. So amazing, sinless life. And then we go to his death. Even his death is unique. One, it's unique in terms of how it happens, but also its meaning and its purpose. When people die, we don't tend to think of that as something good. We don't tend to think of that as something that brings a blessing to the world or a blessing to others. With the Lord Jesus Christ, he brings an opportunity that no other death in human history has brought to mankind. So it's a unique death. It's not, a, it's not just a, he died and that's, we pay, you know, we have a funeral and he's gone. Here's what Isaiah 53, 9 says. Great passage. I always pray over Israel, this Isaiah 53, because if, if, if the, the Jewish people could really understand Isaiah 53, it almost runs like a, the life of Jesus Christ. If you read that passage, and it's amazing. It really is. It's like, wow, this is... This is talking about Jesus again, seven, eight, seven, 750 years before he was ever born. Amazing. But here's what it says. It says, his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. So Isaiah, this, these, these centuries before the birth of Jesus Christ, he too proclaims this is going to be a man who's without sin. And not only that, somehow he gets associated with wicked men at his death. Well, we have a criminal on the right, a criminal on the left. We know at one time both criminals are reviling the Lord, Jesus Christ, and then one of them on the cross literally is born again. And, he's, and he, he turns and he, and he even proclaims, this, we've done things wrong. This man has done nothing wrong. And he says, Lord, when you get to your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus says to him, I tell you, today you'll be with me in in paradise, in eternity. And then he has no tomb but a rich man, as this was predicted again centuries before his death. A rich man will supply a tomb for him. And not only will he die and be buried, but we know the crux of the gospel, the center of the gospel is that he'll rise again on the third day. And that resurrection then is what brings the hope of eternal life, a new heaven and a new earth to all humanity, to everybody. It's offered to everyone. It's unlimited. It really is. And, but whether you receive it or not, I mean, that's, that's I mean, the penalty for not receiving it's on us. It's not on God. So think about it. Unique death now, unlike probably the death of any other person, but we know it's unique in that he rose from the dead. This is not something in human history that's ever happened. No human being has died and then three days later risen again. Now, of course, the Lord, he raised up Lazarus and so on and a few others, but, but uh, he, he himself is lifted up and resurrected. And so we have, again, a unique, and Mike, Pastor Mike did a great job of going over all the people that are testimonies and witnesses, almost in a legal, well, in a legal sense, that the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. 
So we have, again, this amazing conception, birth, his life. Now his death is very unique, very uh, pivotal in human history. There's before the cross and there's after the cross. And before the cross, wow, humanity really was waiting for the light to come into the world. And then the light did come into the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, his legacy. What legacy did Jesus Christ leave behind? Did he come to start a religion? Did he come to write a book? Did he come to start a university? What did he come for? Well, we know he came to save the world. And Isaiah, again, we're going to go back to prophecy centuries before his birth. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us, it was read earlier, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's four names of Jesus right there in that one passage. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So God's saying, look, you have government. You try to solve all these problems. You'll never solve all those problems, ever. No government. But the man's coming will be king, a new heaven and a new earth, and he is going to rule in peace. He's going to solve all the problems that people have. It was customary in the ancient world that kings often had more than one name. And if we look uh, at various kings in the, in the Old Testament, we find that some of them had other names than the name that they, um, that were royal names, regal names in a sense. It's amazing that this extraordinary man, Jesus Christ, had over 100 names. If we go, if we go into Old and the New Testament, we'll find over 100 names for Jesus Christ. We just know him as Jesus, right? But there's all these names. There's some common ones that we all know. King of kings, Lord of lords, good shepherd, lamb of God, the Christ, the great physician, the bread of life, right? We've all heard of those. He says, I'm the gate. There's, there's a number of different. But we, as we look through scripture, we find others that are less known. Revelation, we find he's called the first and last, in Hebrews chapter 2, he's called the author of salvation. In Revelation chapter 19, the word of God. And throughout, in Matthew in chapter 8, the son of man. Revelation chapter 5 and 22, the root of David. And then in Revelation 22, the morning star. Uh, if we go to Jeremiah, back in the Old Testament, chapter 23, is called the righteous branch. And again, back to Revelation chapter 5, he's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Judge of the living and the dead in Acts chapter 10. Hope of glory in Colossians chapter 1. Heir of all things in Hebrews chapter 1. Bridegroom in Matthew chapter 9. The capstone in Acts chapter 4 and 1 Peter chapter 2. Those are just a few of the names for Jesus Christ. There's no king in the ancient world or in the contemporary world, for that matter, that has anywhere close to the number of names Jesus Christ has. Why? Why? Who is this man that name after name and title after title and title after title are attributed to him? Well, he is God in the flesh. He has all the attributes of God and it's hard to say, you know, one or two things about God, right? You really, 
it's amazing that I think there are going to be many more names. If you look at Revelation chapter 19, it says this, verse 12. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many diadems, crowns, and he has a name written that no man knew but he himself. So when Jesus Christ comes and returns in Revelation, there is a name that he has that nobody else knows. So we're not done with names yet for the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. There's more names that are coming, and uh, I think it's going to be a glorious day when we meet them to realize how many names are required to capture the essence of who this man is, a man who was in flesh and blood just like us. Think about it. He came to save the world. Look at the legacy that Jesus Christ has left. Probably more songs, books, paintings and portraits, music have been written for this man than any person in human history. Um, Handel's Messiah is one that often people uh, will listen to around this time of year. Um, Handel wrote it uh, fairly quickly. He wrote it in about four weeks. And uh, the musical score for Handel's Messiah is about 260 pages long. I mean, it's a, he believed God inspired him to write it, and I, 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 I don't doubt it. It's, it's an amazing piece. But it's been said that the Hallelujah Chorus from Handel's Messiah is probably the most well-known piece of music in the world. People that hear it, they may not know where it came from, but when the minute they hear it, Hallelujah, they know that that song uh, is from that piece of music. And, of course, we all know that he wrote it for Jesus Christ. That, that, whole, that entire oratorio um, was written for Jesus Christ. It's been said that King George II started a tradition that when the, the Hallelujah Chorus would play, he, he stood, and, of course, the entire audience stood. Why did he stand during the Hallelujah Chorus? Was he honoring Handel there that he wrote the Messiah? No, he was honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. He recognized that that chorus was about Jesus Christ. And not only in terms of music and art and books, but if we look, look at the universities, the churches, the chapels, missions, missionaries, pastors, preachers, teachers, elders, deacons, disciples. Tonight alone, there are probably two billion people on earth who are in some way and at some level of understanding giving honor to Jesus Christ, his birth tonight. Not only that, the body of Christ around the world brings together every tri-tongue nation and people. This man who died 2,000 years ago, who nobody's seen. We've not, no one here has seen him, have you? I haven't. We've, we haven't seen him, but we love him and we know, we know him. And he, through his life and his death, has brought humanity together. Everyone who's born again believer in Jesus Christ, he says there's one church, one baptism, one spirit. All from, again, this one man. Amazing, 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 amazing. Think about this as well. He never wrote one scripture. And yet, Jesus didn't write anything. It was the people around him who wrote, his own apostles and disciples. He, he never wrote a word. He didn't come into the world to write books. And yet, here's a man that more books are written about him than any person in human history. The Bible is sold, we believe, at well over 5 billion copies, or 5 billion copies of the Bible have been printed. 
There are more manuscripts of the Bible or the scriptures than any book on earth. We can truly say it's the most well-preserved book on earth. Why? Because it's about this man, Jesus Christ, this magnificent man. And one or two final thoughts as we close up here. Think about time itself. Time. Before, after, yesterday, today, tomorrow. Time itself is defined in terms of Jesus Christ on this earth. For the entire world, the the, the whole earth. Whether you acknowledge him or bow down. Time itself. B.C., before Christ. And then A.D. means Anno Domini, the year of the Lord. Think about that, how magnificent. This man, Jesus Christ, even time is divided into before he came and after he came. Amazing. We don't say before Alexander the Great and after Alexander the Great, do we? Or before Buddha and after Buddha, before Muhammad or after Muhammad, or before Gandhi or after Gandhi. There have been many great figures throughout history, but only the Lord Jesus Christ do we define time itself, the time before he came into the world and before he was Emmanuel, God with us, and now the time after. What a legacy. What a legacy. Amazing. If we would look, we would have to say that this is proof that he is who he says he is, that he is God the Son, that he came to earth to bring um, the possibility for every human being to be saved from hell and to live in a new heaven and a new earth, in an, in an eternal heaven. No other human being has made the kind of mark he has, has had more influence, has been spoken about more often, has influenced society, art, literature, music, has been praised and reviled more than the Lord Jesus Christ. No man in history. And there have been a lot of great people in human history. Even people tonight and tomorrow who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they will in some way be celebrating. They will be unifying with family. They will be giving gifts. Stores will be closed. Amazing. The world may not acknowledge him, But these things show that the world is already bowed down to Jesus Christ. Whether people want to see that or not, that has to do with their own heart. But it's clear that this man left a legacy, a living proof every day that he was God the Son and that he was the most extraordinary man in history. So it's my prayer tonight and our prayer, I know together, that that we would really be in awe of who Jesus Christ is, that we would marvel at him, that we would say, what an extraordinary man. What an extraordinary man. Even 2,000 years later, I mean, how long does it take to forget a person? It doesn't take long. I mean, there have been famous people in history who've said, in a couple weeks, people start to forget me. But not Jesus Christ. Why? Because... Because he's the greatest man in history, because he's God Almighty, come the earth. I want to finish up with John chapter 1, verse 14. This is one of my favorite quotes. And if you go to the Creation Museum, uh, Answers in Genesis, this quote is on one of their, I think it's a fountain there. It's actually 
very beautiful, but it says this in John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's who Jesus Christ is. His conception, his birth, his life, his death, and the legacy that he's left 2,000 years later is truly, truly awe-inspiring. And so I hope tonight as we all go home to our families and we finish up here and maybe we watch a Christmas movie or you have some kind of Christmas tradition that in your heart you're in awe about who this man is. Truly, truly, truly. I be When I was a non-believer for so many years, you know, I knew Jesus was a great guy, but I thought, wow, there's a lot of great people in history. When you look, he's exceptional because he's so unique. He's not like anyone else in human history. And so that's the part, I think, as believers that we see, and that's why we worship him. We worship him because he's worthy of worship and because he is the Christ and God in the flesh. So as we leave tonight, I just pray for all of you to have a blessed blessed evening with your family tomorrow as well and i just here let's pray let's finish in prayer heavenly father uh but daddy thank you for the lord jesus christ your son amazing amazing i just i know it's like a marriage you know you're in love so much at first and then as years go by, you kind of take the other person sometimes for granted or they take you for granted or, or maybe life just sometimes doesn't have the, the pep and the, the excitement that it used to have. Well, we know Revelation warns us we can do the same thing with our Lord Jesus Christ. We can start to lose the love we had at first, as the scriptures say. And so, Lord God, I'm asking you tonight, we are together to refuel that love that we have for the Lord Jesus for you, Lord God. We need your spirit here every day of the year and every hour of every day of our lives to continue to help us to really bring to the forefront of our hearts and our minds who Jesus Christ is. I just pray in the new year, many people have had hard times this year, but Lord God, use us next year, and we just pray that we'll fall deeper, deeper, deeper in love with you so that we, our hearts just, that we just can't wait to see you, that it's, that we don't fear death and that we don't fear anything in this world because we know that you have us safely in your hands, safely in your arms. And as the kids sing tonight, yes, Jesus loves me. He does. He loves us. And so, Lord, we pray that that love that you've given us, that we know we don't deserve, but you're so loving, you give it anyway. We just thank you for that. Help us to go out and love others tonight. Thank you for our music team and everyone here tonight. We just pray blessings and much grace and joy over their families. In Jesus' name, amen.